What's going on, Straight Talk Faithful? Your host, George McKay. I'm here, pre-recorded, with another special guest. Very excited to have this gentleman in the studio with me today via phone. This is Albert Tam, a.k.a. The Drunken Master, Bolo Funk. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, no problem. You've had a, a big pedigree of guys. Uh, I, I saw the last few guys were like, Tugboat, Tommy Dreamer, and I'm like, oh, there's me. <laughs> you know what? I'm working my way up the ranks. I wanted to go classic. Now I'm going new school. I went a little classic for a bit. Now I'm going to the new school, the up-and-comers. And, and uh, yeah. the great thing about the Ontario indie scene that we have right now is that there is, it's such a well-kept secret that I, I hate sharing it, but I love to highlight the wrestlers that I see a lot of potential in. And when I saw you at Junction City, I had the opportunity to go there to uh, at 3030, and uh, I saw you. That was the first time I'd ever seen you, and I just, I loved everything about the character, the shtick, how well you really morph yourself into that character. And that tag match was uh, was epic. It had the right mix of comedy. It had the right mix of, you know, just great athleticism on your part, your tag team partner, and the team you were facing. So, I mean, all in all, when you see the whole package, you know what? I got to get this guy before he blows up, and then I'll never have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for seeing that. I'm flattered. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I always grew up wanting to be, like, a, a kung fu action star. I was... Uh, I was really influenced um, by a lot of old school stuff. Like uh, I think when I was a kid, my favorite movie was uh, Once Upon a Time in China. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh yeah, Once Upon a Time in China. I have the trilogy, and also another one of my all-time favorites. I don't care what anybody says. The um, uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, if you've ever seen Once Upon a Time in China, uh, for the viewers out there or listeners out there, uh, the scene, the movie opens up with this awesome scene of like. Hundreds of monks at like the break of dawn doing kung fu, and like there's this guy screaming about like how like you're gonna work hard no matter what happens, and it's, it's the greatest thing ever. And when I was a little kid, I saw this, and I'm like, this is this is my shit. <laughs> so you, uh, you actually have a little bit of martial arts training background, correct? Uh, actually, yes. So here, here's part of the story. So uh, me, as like an impressionable like six, seven year old kid, saw this and was like, oh my god, this is awesome! I want to be like a kung fu monk just like these guys. Except, of course, I was Canadian, so you can't go to, like, monastery or anything. <laughs> um, so, you, you do the best, next best thing, and you go to church, and you do, like, church kung fu. Uh, but, like, yeah, so when I was a kid, probably in, like, grade uh, four through to grade seven, I did kung fu. Uh, so, I went, and I, I was like, I'm going to be a monster by the time I'm an adult. I'm going to be, like, a killing machine. I'll be able to murder a row with my bare hands. I don't know if this is really monk-like. But, uh, yeah, so I would go, or I would train, like, 15 hours a week, and I would do Kung Fu, and uh, I would learn, like, the weapons and stuff. i know how to use a sword, i know how to use a staff, i know how to use a, it's called a Guando, I don't know if you guys know what that is. I don't know what that is, is that similar to a Sai? Uh, no, it's kind of like a stick with a scythe at the end of it. Have you ever, you ever played, uh, uh, Dynasty Warriors? Yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. okay. Yes, yeah, so that, uh, the, the thing that, um... You see Guan Yu, the, the God of War in Dynasty Warrior. I know how to use that. Uh, yeah, so I, I would go and I would train, and I would be like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to be, like, the coolest guy ever. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Kung Fu actually kind of got um, banned in China for a long time. No, I didn't know that. Uh, okay, so here's actually a history lesson. Uh, fun fact, this isn't a wrestling podcast anymore. This is Kung Fu. But, um, awesome. All yeah, right. So uh, back in the day, uh, China had Kung Fu, and Kung Fu was like the progenitor of a lot of martial arts. 
but because China got occupied by various uh, forces, you know, so I'm from Hong Kong, so Hong Kong got occupied by the British. And there was this thing back in the day, in like 1800s, it was called the Opium War. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. All right, cool. So we're <laughs> just using history now. Yeah. So uh, back in the day, uh, Britain had colonialism. And what happened with colonialism was they were expanding around the world and they were trying to build the British Empire. That's how we have America in um, Indian trade. Basically, they took over the world. And so when it came to Asia, they came through Hong Kong, which is a, a small port on the side of China, on the southeast side. Mm-hmm. And what they were doing is they were like, hey, we want to import, we want to trade with you. And uh, China said yes, and they were like, we'll trade you tea. So China traded tea, and Britain traded silver. And uh, that was how they, they got tea in Britain, mm. which was a very valuable commodity back in the day. Of course. But the problem was that China could produce tea faster than Britain could produce silver because you had to mine the silver. And you had to use all the other colonies, and it was really expensive, and you couldn't really keep one for one. So Britain decided that, oh, we need we need a more profitable way to do this. We're losing too much money to do this. And so what happened was they, they took a bunch of guys and they introduced opium into China. So they were like, hey, this tea's cool. I'll trade you tea for opium. And, of course, opium is super addictive and very debilitating. So what happened was they, they basically turned an entire generation of Chinese guys into opium addicts for their tea. Uh, really horrifying stuff. Yeah, not so really, not really a fair trade, if you ask me. We're gonna addict you to, we're gonna get you addicted to opium, and you're just gonna give us really cool tea. Not, not yeah, a fair trade at all. Yeah, but like history is written by the winner, so it's. Uh, yes, yes, it, yeah. That's yeah. that's the sad truth of history. I mean, think about it now. Twenty years from now, when our kids are learning about the uh, presidential reign of Donald Trump, they're gonna make him seem like a godsend, where we we all really know him to be a, a straight up monster, if you will. So. God Emperor Trump. I'm yeah. sure, like, kids these days don't remember George W. Bush. Like, uh, I remember going through school and GW was, was considered a monster. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, of course, they, uh, well, that now we're now we're turning into a conspiracy theory podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, back, back to history, back to history. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so all these guys were addicted to opium. And so these Chinese officials were like, hey, this isn't cool. <laughs> like, a country's turning into opium addicts because there were opium dens coming everywhere and people weren't working. Fun fact, have you ever heard the term, like, uh, chasing the dragon? That's where it came from. Yes. Because it was all these Chinese guys who were high on opium chasing, like, imaginary dragons. Mm. So they dumped all this opium into a bay, and they were like, okay, no more opium. And Britain didn't like this because Britain was like, oh, I still need tea. Because now they were using tea to trade with other countries to maintain their empire. So they were like, no, we're still going to trade you opium for tea. And China was like, no, we don't want no more opium. Please, no, thank you. So they had this giant war over this called the Opium War, where Britain came and basically raided uh, China and said, like, no, you're giving us tea. And China said no. And they had this revolution. It was called uh, Boxers and Saints, where Chinese guys were boxers because they were uh, were using Kung Fu, because they didn't have weapons and guns and things like that. And Britain were saints because they won, so they're the saints. And so Britain, because they had guns and things like that, they won. And so they ended up occupying Hong Kong. And that's why Hong Kong is actually a British colony and why uh, if you pay attention to like a lot of Hong Kong action movies and stuff like that, everyone speaks English. And everyone has a really good idea of English culture. And if you ever go to Hong Kong, all the streets actually have English names. Like they're named like Victoria Street because they were British occupied for, 50, for 99 years. Wow. But uh, during this time, so here's the point of the story. Uh, Kung Fu as a martial art was actually outlawed. 
because uh, they were worried that if commoners could learn Kung Fu... They could fight back. That, exactly. So uh, it was kind of outlawed in terms of a fighting perspective. It became kind of more like a, a kata or a tachi. Okay. So more of like a dance and practition. Mm-hmm. And eventually, during the communist revolution on, in the mainland, the same thing happened to the rest of China. So most of Kung Fu as it exists today is actually more of a dance and more of a kata. Unless you're like a Shaolin monk who kept and preserved it. And there are certain arts like Sanda and Shui Zhao, which are like original like striking and wrestling. Most of them are actually kind of more dance related, like a capoeira. Okay. Okay, so it's uh, so more yeah. it's more it's more dance related, but it's also is it not more if correct me if I'm wrong and if I am I apologize. Is it not more defensive minded? It's not so much offensive minded, but as it is defensive minded, because as you're doing the movements, you have a lot of chance to block and uh, counter more than you would, and then you can open yourself up to giving a strike if need be. But it's more defense. Am I am I wrong in that? Uh, conceptually, yes. But uh, so I've done I've done a lot of things. I've done judo. I've done cast wrestling. I've done uh, sub muay thai. I've done I've done a lot of other martial arts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that like it, it is very much like almost like a uh, <laughs> I hate saying it, but almost like a box fit class at like um, Good Life Fitness or something like that. Oh, okay. Where, I can see why you hate uh, saying it for sure. I can see that. Uh, I I don't hate saying it. It's just how it is, you know. Like, because uh, there's a funny part of the story after that I'm gonna get to, but uh, after my history lesson. But uh, yeah, for the most part, you won't really know how to defend yourself from an attacker or know how to use something until you've actually used it. Okay. Uh, it's actually a design principle. I don't know if you know this because uh, I I know engineering too. <laughs> well, you're just a well, you're just a well rat. You know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna leave, and I'm just gonna let you talk for a second. <laughs> I I I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. This is super awesome for me. No, but please go ahead. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, what are the one thing that you do when you approach uh, learning a skill is you need to use the skill. So, use is actually an acronym. It stands for understand, strategize, and experience. So you need to understand a concept before you can do anything. So if in terms of like design, what am I doing? What am I building? Uh, in terms of Kung Fu, what am I doing? I'm going to learn how to fight. Okay? Mm-hmm. So once I understand what I'm going to do, then I need a strategy. So this would be either micromanagement of what are my resources and my skills. Uh, this would be stuff like what are my techniques in Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. So this is a punch. This is a left hook. This is single leg, et cetera, et cetera. And the final stage is experience. So the way I have to explain this is that, um, you know, you ever, you ever watch like YouTube and you see all these like cooking channels? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll watch Gordon Ramsay do this. It'll be sweet. Yeah. And uh, whenever and, I try to do it, it never looks like what he did, but I try my best. Exactly. And that's because we're missing experience. Like mm. we understand what we need to do. We're, we're making a souffle. We have a strategy. We have his recipe, but we don't have the experience to, to do it. And so our result is not as good as everyone else. Right. So in the same sense that Kung Fu provides understanding and strategy, but there's no experience because it's all kata. And because of that, it's very hard to implement what's going to go on when you actually get into a fight using Kung Fu. So, uh, yeah, so <laughs> this is where the story comes in. So uh, I was doing Kung Fu for like three years, and I, I went to like, uh, oh, I was going to middle school, and uh, I happened to get my ass kicked one day. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm like, I'm a shooter. I'm a hardcore fighter guy. I'm awesome. We were like these only monks I looked up to. And then, uh, yeah, I got my ass kicked. Um, <laughs> and then I went back and I was like, see, how come this didn't work? And then he kind of let me in. It was like, because it's a work. 
because Kung Fu is a work. And I was like, ah, it, it just like broke my heart to hear that. And so I gave up completely. I was like, oh, this is stupid. I hate this now. I wish I never tried it. And of course, like, you know, 10, 10, 10 12 years later, I, I ended up in professional wrestling. So I, I wish I kept going. <laughs> I was like, ah, you, you left for work. Can't shoot her. You went back to working anyway. So I was like, oh, you, you missed out, man. <laughs> so we uh, thank you very much for the history lesson. I do appreciate no that. Problem. So it, we, I know your love for the martial arts action movies and all that kind of stuff, but where did the love for wrestling come into play? And who was your early influences? Because everyone has that defining moment, that moment where they fall in love with wrestling. Do you remember your defining moment and who your early influences were as a as a youngster? Yeah. Um, so I have an older brother. Uh, he was big uh, in many ways in my life. Uh, but he was, like, six years older than me. And so when you're a kid, like, that's like, wow, he's so much older. And so when he was a kid, uh, and I was in the 90s, he would watch, like, WCW, because we didn't have cable. And he would bring, like, the N64 games, and he and his friends would come over, and he'd tape WCW. And so when I was a kid, I would watch WCW with him. It was awesome. <laughs> um, I think my earliest influences were, like, Rey Mysterio and Ultimate Dragon. Like, I remember, like, watching the Cruiserweight division in WCW. Which was, was the best division in those ever. years, hands down. Some of the best matches awesome. and best wrestlers were in that division. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, uh, I was really young at that time, so I don't really remember specifically who. Later mm -hmm. on, I went back and watched it. It was, like, it was definitely, like, it was, like, Rey Mysterio kind of, like, Juventude, like, Psychosis. I really liked, like, Luchador style. Uh, actually, here's, here's another fun fact, fun story for you. Uh, so when I was in high school, I, I really, like, I was secretive because, like, um, I think there's not a lot of Chinese people who do like um, pro wrestling. I think it's definitely like an untapped market. I know that WWE is actually doing a uh, Shanghai tryout. I, it just finished. Yeah, I, I, actually, I did see that. That's pretty exciting. Plus, they brought in a lot of the they brought in a lot of the Japanese uh, style of stuff, and even AEW is getting on the Chinese side of things as well, right? So yeah, I think. So actually, yeah. Uh, can I do a quick plug? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So actually, uh, speaking of AEW, uh, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment, OWE, that's uh, Chinese Pro Wrestling, is coming to Toronto August 7th and August 10th, and you can catch me there, guys. Hit me up for tickets. Amazing. I, I unfortunately yeah. will, I, I have a stacked weekend that weekend, because that's SummerSlam weekend. SummerSlam so, weekend, yeah. Yeah, so I, I am stacked. I will not be able to attend, but you know what, after the show, um, you send me any links like that, and I will be more than happy to post and share all that stuff for you. Sure, thank you very much, appreciate it. No problem. It's the least I could do for you taking the time out for the show, and I, I do appreciate that. So, Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrero, uh, Psychosis, those were early influences. But what was that, like, defining moment? What was that moment where you uh, watch, so watching WCW with your brother? Was there a moment that you saw it and you were like, man, this is it. I, this is what I have to do. This is going to be part of my life. Uh, so, actually, that kind of ties back to what I was saying. Is I always wanted to be, like, a Chinese Kung Fu star. <laughs> um, and... Uh, as I got older, I don't know, I think, I think the world of pro wrestling was just really intense, because, like, uh, our family is actually really into filmmaking. My brother ended up getting his master's at uh, University of Southern California as a screenwriter, and my, my uncle used to make films. So I was always really into this stuff, and I was like, this is awesome. Just everything, you know, because I, I knew how digital magic worked. Um, I was really familiar with filmmaking when I was a kid, and I just saw that this is live. Like, that's crazy. Like, there's there are things that you can learn how to hide with camera cuts and editing and having hundreds of takes, but you just can't do that. This is a live, 100% show. Yeah, you only get and one shot. If you screw shot, up, up, everyone's going to see it. Exactly. 
Yeah. And, um, okay, I, I guess this is kind of a roundabout, but I promise I'll get back to the topic. Uh, mm-hmm. But in, like, Chinese Kung Fu movies, guys like Chet Li, guys like Stephen Chow, Samuel Hong, Jackie Chan, they are, like, everything. They're, like, known as super control freaks. They direct, produce, write, star, edit the entire movie. If you watch an old-school Jackie Chan movie, he did every single part of that movie. And I thought that was amazing. Like, if you can be that amazing of a person, then that is what I would want to be, just someone who could do it all. But for me, I saw pro wrestling as, like, you can basically do that. You write, direct, star, act, do it live in front of an audience every single day. You don't need a production company. You don't need funding and a backer. You don't need to write a script. You just do it yourself every day as much as you want. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, how could you not want that job? No, that, 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 that's a picture-perfect job. I uh, 100% agree with you. Yeah, so, also, I, I kind of, like, um, I even when I was younger, I was, like, I know my demographic, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, okay, this is, like, not wrestling-related, but I think that if you grow up as a, like, first-generation, uh, they call them ABCs, like, American-born Chinese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really fit in in either culture, if that makes sense. No, like, I can uh, see that. I get it because you're even though you have the the Chinese descent and you have the background, you're not really considered unfortunately Chinese because you're born American or you're born North American. But also in the yeah. same aspect because you're not even though you're American, people see the outside appearance and they automatically judge. They say, "Oh, that's that's Chinese guy." No, no, I'm I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm American. Like whatever. This is who I am. You know. Bingo. So. It's tough to be taken seriously, and uh, I knew that if I was ever to go back, I wouldn't be taken seriously, and I wouldn't be able to do this kind of thing in that world. Also, um, <laughs> all right, well, well, there's also a marketing strategy. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's called Blue Ocean or Red Ocean. No. Okay. So I'm just learning so much from you today. This is incredible. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to go to law school, too. So. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. Well, good. I'll have to keep your number in my back pocket in case I ever get yeah. into some trouble. Hey, I gotta call my buddy Bolo. I gotta call my buddy Bolo. He'll get me out of this. I know yeah. he will. I got, I got a million and one skills. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So here's a marketing story for you. Um, when you when you tap a market, uh, say you go fishing. So we're gonna go fishing in uh, what's a place that has a lot of fish? Because <laughs> Lake Ontario, Lake Ontario's got fish. Yeah, Lake Ontario's got fish. I would even say going up north, like North Bay, Sudbury, Timmins, up there would definitely have some oh. fish. Perfect. All right. So that's that's perfect. So say we go to Lake Ontario, and Lake Ontario has fish. But we can all go to Lake Ontario, we can fish. But Lake Ontario is overfished. Everyone's already fishing in Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. So when I fish in Lake Ontario, my odds of catching a fish are smaller because everyone caught all the fish already, and there's more competition. Right. This is called Red Ocean, because all the fish is dying in the ocean, so the ocean's red. And I have all these other competitors going on there. But if I take myself and I go to a new market that is further and isn't as explored, like uh, like you said, Sudbury Timmins, and I start fishing there, I'm more likely to catch a fish because that market has not been tapped yet. Hmm. So this is called Blue Ocean because the, the waters don't run red with all the dead, the dead fish. Mm-hmm. So uh, a big concept of Blue Ocean and Red Ocean is to strike demographics that don't exist yet. You know, there are already hundreds of people who do kung fu movies that are made in Hong Kong and made in China and made in Guangzhou. But there aren't very many people who are doing this through a similar but different medium of pro wrestling in Canada and America 
And not to mention the fact that uh, I, I'm fluent in English. Like, uh, I like to think I'm decently well-spoken. Is that I, I have an advantage here in the fact that I can speak English to people. And that is a big skill when it comes to professional wrestling. Whereas if I'm in a movie, someone might need dubs, someone might need a translator, someone might not be as eloquent and may not be able to express those same ideas. So using those ideas, find the blue ocean for yourself. You can still be fishing, just fish in a different location in a different style. Yeah, that's that. That you know what that makes complete sense because you know what, as you to go back to cycle back to a second to one of your earlier points. If you could write, direct, star, control your own destiny, why wouldn't you want that job? But also in the same part of it, controlling your own destiny means marketing yourself in those untapped markets. Because if you can conquer those untapped markets, when you get to the big markets, when you get into that red ocean and there's a chance for you to get a little bit of blue, you have a chance to go further. And I think that, I think that that's a, that's a great way to look at your career and mapping. Any young wrestlers out there listening to this right now, this is Wrestling Strategy 101. Find your character, control your destiny, go into those untapped markets, and then you will succeed higher and higher. Actually, fun fact, this isn't just wrestling. This is business. This is actually an investment principle. Okay. So this yeah, is just, so, well, this is life then. Life and investments. Yeah, this is life. Yeah, yeah. this is a life lesson. Yeah. This, this is some Warren Buffett stuff. <laughs> but uh, so, on that same line. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that's actually why I wanted to do like Kung Fu comedy, because I think... Uh, nowadays, everyone wants to be a tough guy. <laughs> everyone wants to be the coolest dude that ever, that ever existed. You know, um, everyone wants to be the cool bad guy. I want to come out to like the most hardcore track I can think of. And I think that if you wrestle for a long time, you can almost get lost in the forest for the trees. If, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I get what you're saying 110%. It's, it's, in this day and age now, everybody out there, like, see, you have a character. And I appreciate that because I'm a fan of the characters. Some of my favorite wrestlers of all time, uh, Stink, uh, yeah. Triple H. I mean, he went from being a two-name wrestler, terrorizing. He went to, uh, you know, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, which was a character in its own right, and all that stuff. And it was just, um, it was just incredible to see that, right? And then you, you look at the guys nowadays, you got Roman Reigns. You got Seth Rollins, you got Dean Ambrose, then you got John Moxley, you got Cody, you got Dustin Reynolds. Everybody's just a first and a last name. What happened to Hulk Hogan's? What happened to the Macho Man? What happened to Sting when he was a blonde flat top and then he went dark crow style? What happened? What happened to the evolution? Sorry, if you will, of the character. We went from the evolution of the character. Then we went to 1997, where Scott Hall hopped the guardrail at a WCW show and announced himself as Scott Hall. But three weeks ago, we knew him as Razor Ramon, right? Yeah. So once we went into, once we started bringing that real realism to the product, I loved it. It changed the landscape. The Monday Night Wars made everything exciting. It made wrestling pop culture, but at the same time, it took away from the fantasy. And yeah. now, now we don't have characters anymore. And if we do, there's really only a like there, yourself. Your character is so well rounded, and we'll get into the origin of how that came to be and your training and all that in a bit. But I just want to touch on a point. You have guys like Marty Scroll. Yeah, he's a two name wrestler, but he also has the moniker of the villain. He's the villain. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I love I love everything everything that Marty Scroll is doing. Everything. Actually, fun fact. While we're talking about this, uh, yeah. So now that's a bad thing. Um, but if there's too many of them. Roman Reigns is already the cool guy. I can't be cooler than Roman Reigns. No. Roman Reigns is the coolest dude in the world. <laughs> if 
if I'm playing that, that's that's playing Red Ocean with Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns will win every time. Right. Uh, actually, the G1 climax is going on right now. I don't know if you're following the G1. I I am, and I'm not. I'm so busy with um, you know, trying to balance my work life balance plus time for the family. Plus, you know, doing this for podcast sure. and all that stuff. So I, I follow it here and there, but I'm, I'm be honest, it's not faithful. It's not 100% okay. faithful. Uh, well, thank you for your time again then. But, um, yeah, so if you're familiar with the G1, there's uh, there's one guy. His name's Toru Yano. I don't know if you're familiar with Toru Yano. I, I, I am. I've seen a few matches, and yeah. I, I, lo- I love what he does. I love what he brings to the table. And to me, Toru Yano is the embodiment of the perfect balance between kind of like that, like, you know when you have, like, Duke the Jumpers Dross? And you have, like, Fantasia, and you have all those crazy gimmicks in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which was a little too much at the same time. <laughs> yes. Um, he has a, you have to have a reason. Like, why is this guy wrestling? <laughs> like, why is a Minotaur wrestling? Why is a, a Garden Strand wrestling? At the end of the day, we have two people fighting in a ring trying to win a wrestling match. But why are they fighting to win? Right. Why is he even here to begin with? And so I think Toriano does it best. Because Toriano is a scumbag idiot character who can only win by punching people in the nuts but he can do it in what you what i would arguably say is the most sports-based professional wrestling today mm-hmm. like new japan i think treats itself as a sport more than i think any other um pro wrestling does today i would and have to agree with you on that new japan definitely brings that realism to the table but they also make it very sports-based but they also take a lot of risks, and they, they leave it all out there. Every match is a match where both guys sometimes have to be helped carried out of the ring because they literally have, are so exhausted from going 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, so this is like pretty much as close to MMA while still being pro wrestling as possible. Uh, Tanahashi is, like to me, the idea of like the modern pro wrestler. And you have guys like Okada, you have uh, Naito, you have all these guys who... like embody like strong spirit and ideals and so this is basically a sport mm-hmm. and Toriano is this guy who punches guys in the nuts and shills his DVD and he's hilarious and he can exist in the most serious of pro wrestling and I think that's amazing I would because have to agree with you when you watch the G1 Climax there are oh god I don't even know how many matches there are probably like 60 matches that each go like 10, 15 minutes. They're amazing. They're crazy. They're violent. They're vicious. They're really interesting. Uh, amazing matches. Just if you have time to watch a G1 Climax, watch a G1 Climax. And throughout all this, Toriano can exist. And not only is he entertaining, he wins sometimes too. Realistically and logically, he has victories in the G1. He's known as an upset victory in a G1 Classic. Because, you know, despite being a joke, he can still exist in this world. And so that's my idea of why we have this alcoholic, uh, drunken kung fu guy, because I think that can exist in the world, and that can be entertaining. And at the end of the day, pro wrestling is entertaining. It's a, it's a source of entertainment, just like video games, movies, books, uh, music, whatever you do. We want to be entertained. And as long as we can be entertained, I think pro wrestling is successful. I would have to agree. I would definitely have to agree. As long as the entertainment aspect is there and it stays, it walks that thin line. Like there is that line, that gray area between entertainment and realism. I believe as long as it walks that line, 
and that you could pass it on to further generations. Like my wife and I, we're very diehard wrestling fans. We're very passionate. And we now have our nine-year-old daughter. She's hooked on the product as well. We're starting to expose our three-year-old daughter to the product as well. And it's especially in a time where, where women are second to none to men. They're completely equal. Sometimes the girls put on better matches than the guys, depending on the card in question. But for you, so we had the defining moment. We talked about that. When did you start training and who did you start training with? Uh, so actually, um, <laughs> again, when I was like 13, I would, uh, I would Google wrestling schools in Toronto and I was, I was, I, I read Edge's book and I was like, mm, where's Ron Hutchinson? Like I was, I was doing my, my creeping, but I, I was too young at that point. Um, and then over time I kind of fell out of pro wrestling a little bit mm-hmm. just because, uh, I think it's just what happens sometimes when you grow up, like, uh, actually, sorry, you asked me the defining moment. I actually do remember like a defining moment. Of pro wrestling. Okay, let's let's cycle back to that and then get <laughs> me, into the me, training. But go ahead. Let me, let me cycle back to that really quick. Yeah. Uh, so the very first wrestling show I ever went to was Unforgiven 2006. Oh my god, I was there too. The tables, ladders, chair match, John Cena, Edge, great match, absolutely. The, the whole thing was awesome to me. That was the very first time I'd seen live pro wrestling, and I remember again my brother and I went. I, I made like a bajillion signs because I was like 12 <laughs> or 13. I forgot how old it was. Um, and we went and it was awesome. It was the best experience of my life. Like that was um, top to bottom. It was a pretty solid card and it was amazing. Like I just remember thinking that was the coolest shit in the world. Like I was super spoiled. I got Hell in a Cell, TLC, and Trish Stratus' retirement in one night. Right? As a <laughs> and, wrestling uh, fan, you're exhausted after that pay-per-view, 100%. Yeah, and I remember, I remember coming home and thinking that is the coolest thing in the world, and I want to do that. Like that, that actually was the moment I can think of. Like, uh, Rey Mysterio was when I thought wrestling was cool. Unforgiving was when I thought wrestling is so cool, and I want to do that. I like it. That is a that is yeah. a very cool defining moment. So back yeah, to the better. back to the googling wrestling schools. Yeah. So uh, as a kid, I picked that up, and uh, funny enough, we think uh, I, I ended up taking uh, Spanish in high school because I was like, I'm going to go down to Mexico and be a luchador. <laughs> so I, I did two years of Spanish, actually. Fun fact. So you could speak Spanish, you could speak uh, well English, obviously, and you could. Can you speak? Uh, I'm not sure the dialect. Uh, is it Cantonese? I'm fluent in Cantonese. My Mandarin's a little. Uh, I need people to be slower. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm Mandarin, 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 you can understand it, but they've got to just be slower. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that good at speaking it because I, I always go back to Cantonese. It's kind of like when you know French and you hear like Spanish. Right, you can kind of figure you can figure it out, but if you speak French, you probably end up speaking French back. Right, just by accident because you had a habit of it. Right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so I uh, I went. I was looking for wrestling schools when I was a kid, but uh, I was actually really close to legally blind when I was young. I had negative thirteen and negative eleven vision. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, uh, you know that game when you hold up your fingers in front of your face. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't play that game. Okay. So. Uh, Wrestling kind of didn't seem viable <laughs> because I was like, oh, you're basically blind, and if your contact lens falls out, you're going to kill a guy. Right, right. So uh, I kind of fell out of it for a while. But when I got older, fun fact, there you go. Um, There's actually a surgery that I had because my eyes were too bad for LASIK. Like, uh, they were too thin. I couldn't have laser eye surgery done. Uh, I had this process done called ICL, and that's uh, an implantable contact lens. So it's really cool, like sci-fi stuff. Uh, one of my buddies is an optometrist. He actually has the footage of this. It's super sick. Uh, they like take you to this chair, and it's like this one chair in the middle of a room with like qualified surgeons, of course. 
and like real doctors. Nice. But you sit, you, you sit in this chair, and they put like a mask over your face, and they it holds your eye open, and uh, they do the surgery, and it only takes ten minutes, but you have to be awake through the entire thing, and you have to feel it. Where they like numb your eye and then they cut it out and all the fluid drains out of your eye. You can feel like your eye fluid running down your face as they slide a lens underneath. And so they slide a lens underneath between, um, I have to Google a, a, a diagram of my eye. <laughs> I'm going to feed misinformation <laughs> otherwise. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they put a contact lens above your cornea, I believe. Okay. And they slide it in and they seal it back up. So I, I'm actually like a cyborg. I have, I have contact lenses implanted in both of my eyes permanently. So if you ever wanted to revamp your character then, you could change yourself to Bolo Fang, the Chinese cyborg. I could be the prototype. That would be sick. You could bring back the prototype. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I could, I could definitely be a prototype. Um, but yeah, I got like cybernetics put in. It's, it's really cool. It's like Clockwork Orange stuff. Um, just because they have like hopes holding your eye open, I was like, ah, this is gnarly. I love it. I love it. Clockwork Orange is one of those great classic films for sure. Yeah. So once so, you once you had the surgery and you were kind of, I guess your vision obviously improved drastically from eleven and thirteen percent. Uh, less than that. That's this negative eleven. So I had eight uh, percent vision. Okay, sorry, eight percent vision. So yeah. uh, once you got the surgery, I, I'm assuming your your vision improved. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Uh, I'm not sponsored, but if I was, I would show it to anyone. Um, and uh, back then, I was working in a high school because uh, I was I was doing after school programs okay. at uh, a school at Jane and Finch. Okay. Um, and what happened was uh, there were these kids, and they, they I was working with them, and they didn't, they didn't really want to talk much. You know, like they kind of kept to themselves. They're like grade nines. They're kind of getting like they're smaller guys, so I didn't think I think they're getting picked up by the bigger guys. Mm-hmm. I'll throw on the bus or anything. Um, but yeah, they didn't talk, and I, I would try to talk to them. And all they want to talk about is wrestling. <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, ah, you know, I, I kind of want to make sure they feel included and stuff like that. I didn't want them to feel left out, and I figured they were having a tough time adjusting to high school. So I started watching wrestling again just to have something to speak to them about. Like, so I, I took, I'd come back and talk to them about Raw, and I'd be like, ah, oh, well, you see, see what happened with Cena? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it was, it was a nice way to get back into it and to get them involved. And uh, throughout the year, actually, um, AC, uh, Anthony Grelly, he did a program for the high schoolers where he invited them to go to his gym, Battle Arts Academy, which I, I had no idea was open anymore because I, I had tossed the idea of being a professor out of my head at this point. Uh, I finished school and I, was, uh, I just started working as a social worker. And so I was like, oh, there's a wrestling school, eh? And so they, these guys did a field trip, and they came back, and they couldn't stop talking about it, how it was the coolest thing ever, and it was awesome, and they were just describing everything that was going on. Hmm. And I was like, huh, I remember pro wrestling. I remember when this was the thing. And so uh, I thought about it a bit, because I was like uh, 22, 23 at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. Uh, part of me was like, oh, you're probably too old for this. But I was also like, uh, it's kind of like, if you don't do it now, you'll, you'll never know, right? You'll, yeah. you'll never have an idea of whether or not you'll be able to do it. Uh, it's not like you don't know wrestling. Like, I've spent hundreds of hours watching wrestling anyways. And you understand wrestling. And so I was like, cool, let's Google it. Let's hit this up and let's see what's going on. And uh, so one day after work, I uh, I just was like, 
yeah, I think I'm going to go to a pro wrestling school after work today. And uh, I drove down and was like, hey, I want to be a pro wrestler. And so... The rest, uh, well, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, I was just kind of like, sure, seems like an idea to do. I was 22 and I was like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing my life anyway. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you got to chase those impossible dreams, even if they seem so out of reach. I mean, look at, I mean, I started a podcast when I was 34 years old. I'm almost two years in and I'm having the time of my life. Have I made a billion dollars? No. But have I made some great friends and connections in this wonderful industry? Hell yeah. And I've, I've been honored and blessed to interview up and coming talent like yourself. And I've been honored and blessed to interview legends like AC, like uh, Tugboat, like Tommy Dreamer, like Barry Horowitz. And it's been overwhelming and very, very exciting. In the short two years, it's been a blessing. And I've had a lot of fun. And I've made a lot of great connections and people who I consider my friends because they're genuine people. A lot of people have the misconception of wrestling. A lot of people still don't see that it's it, it, it's kayfabe. A lot of people don't see, you know, that these guys are just... I've interviewed some of the uh, greatest heels in the indie scene right now. But when I talk to them, they're like the most relaxed and chill, fun people ever. And I've interviewed some of the uh, most baby-faced people. When you get them on the mic, they start off a little bit shy. And then they open up. And they have we end up having great conversations. And half of the time, it's conversations much like this. They veer off left and right. But it always goes back to the one thing that we love talking about, which is wrestling. But one question I do have, because this is burning a hole in my mind. I'm a big I'm a big person of the character, like we talked about, the origin of the character. So I know your character comes from the um, the line of uh, films, Jackie Chan, uh, Wong Fang Hung, obviously the Drunken Master line of films. So when you were developing your character, because, I mean, you have the training, you have the look, you have the charisma, you have the body for it, you have the athleticism. But in terms of designing the character, out of all the ideas you could have tossed around, what made you cling to this one? Uh, okay, so that's actually a really good question. I really like that one. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I think that uh, when it comes to Asian guys in movies and cinema, uh, it, it's kind of a... I don't want to sound um, harsh, mm-hmm. but I think when it comes to Western media, if you're an Asian guy, you can be one of a few things. You can be a nerd, you can be a doctor, you can be a smart fan, or if you're not any of those, you can be a triad, you can be a gangster, you can be a no-nonsense samurai, you can be a ninja, you can be uh, the super stoic hard guy, or a martial artist. Okay. And for me, I started with like the whole Bruce Lee knockoff thing, because, you know, <laughs> I didn't really know where I was, and it seems like a natural fit. But I found that, like, it didn't really speak to me as a person, I guess. You know, it felt like I was just doing all the other stereotypes that you see in cinema and movies. And that this, this character really isn't that interesting. It's Bruce Lee, but that's cool. And that's it. Right. And I was like, you know what? That's true. Like, you really aren't doing it. You're, you're just typecasting yourself back into what everyone else has typecast you into. Right, I was I was actually just going to say that you're losing yourself in your own uh, typecasting. Yeah, uh, and things are getting better. Uh, hopefully, like uh, they just announced, like Shang Chi, uh, they they announced Simu Liu, which is actually a guy from Toronto. It's nuts. Uh, gonna be the first Asian guy in a Marvel movie. And uh, I thought to myself, like, if you have things, right? Like, if you have natural charisma, you can speak and you can do something and you can have fun. This is the same concept I went back to, is Blue Ocean, Red Ocean. What can you bring 
to the table that is different, you know? What is it going to be? And to that, I thought, like, it's entertainment. You know, I think one of the most entertaining things going on in WWE TV right now is the 24-7 title. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. And it's awesome. I have to agree with you, but at the same time, I have to disagree with you because I'm a big fan of promos, and I'm a big fan of Kevin Owens. And what's happening with him and Shane McMahon and how he's pretty much putting the McMahons on notice, I think that's the best thing going on in, in WWE right now. Sure. But I, would you agree with me when I say that the 24-7 title is entertainment? Oh, it's completely hilarious, and it's giving guys like R-Truth and Drake Maverick a little bit more spotlight, and that I enjoy because I also, as much as I love the big names... I'm also a fan of the underdog wrestlers. Like, I was little known fact about me. I brag about it on the show all the time. But Miz. I was a big Miz fan when everyone in the world hated him. And I knew that this guy was going to be something special. Fast forward to 12 years later, he is hands down one of the best talkers in the business. And I, I, I find anyone to disagree with me. Because when it comes to cutting a promo, him and Kevin Owens, I think, stand above the pack. Yeah, for sure. He's amazing. Like, yeah. He's, he's got something that sets himself apart, for sure. Um, that's exactly kind of what I was going on to. He's not just trying to be a cool guy, I hope. <laughs> no, no. No, no. Yeah. And uh, so why I look at the 24-7 title as, a, as kind of like my idea of what's going on is that I've accepted that, like, um, I think a lot of Asian-American males especially aren't accepted in mainstream media. Uh, there's been a lot of whitewashing of characters. I don't know if you pay attention. There's, like, Ghost in the Shell. Yep. A few years ago where... Um, the kind of message that exists is that unless a character needs to be Asian, they won't be. And uh, it's, it's harder for, for guys than girls. girls. Asian girls get a pass, but Asian guys don't. And that's just the way things are. You know, that's, that's what I hear from my brother in Hollywood. That's what I know about paying attention to things. It's just how it is. And there's no way around it. And because of that, you have to realize that if you go into pro wrestling, you'll probably never be a top draw. You're never going to be John Cena. You're going to be Roman Reigns. Um, and because of that, you're going to need to find your niche. And just as you said, if you can do comedy, if you can be entertaining and do a 24-7 title, you might be a lower-card guy, but you'll be able to bring something to a table that no one else has, and you'll be able to carve out a spot, and you'll be able to move around in that spot, move up from that spot. And so I thought that to myself and said, okay, well, what are you going to bring to the table that can fit in that spot? And on top of that, like I said before, one of the logical things about wrestling is... Why is this guy fighting, and how does this guy even know how to fight to begin with? If that makes sense. Like, why are they wrestling? No, it totally makes sense, and absolutely. And so, what better way to have a guy who is wasted 24-7, but when he's wasted, he can fight like a champion. Exactly. And I, I also, like, I have a lot of, like, I, I think, in terms of longevity, like, how can I develop this character beyond this? I actually have a really sad promo. I don't know if you've seen it on my page. I have. Um, I did. I, I always tend to do my research for whoever <laughs> I am interviewing. And I saw that. I also saw the awesome video that you did with AC when he talked about you yeah. going you going to uh, uh, Singapore. South Korea. South Korea. Uh, actually, yes. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm the first Canadian guy to wrestle in South Korea. And that's, that's an incredible – see, that's an incredible achievement. That's something special. So let's actually – let's touch on that for a second. How was the experience coming from here, Canada, North American, Westernized – going over there and what was how was it like wrestling over there it was a much smaller scene um, really compared to yeah. what we have here in the Ontario indie scene oh dude yeah yeah it was uh the pro is really cool his name is Shiho he, he runs pro wrestling society so if you guys are ever in South Korea check him out he's a really nice guy uh really cool um I 
say too nice even. But Tuno is a great guy. He's trying. He, he really is a grassroots movement. I think you can take certain types of entertainment for granted if you like exist in Ontario, right? Because he basically ran his promotion out of um, some warehouses. His card was only he only had about nine wrestlers. Wow. He only had about four matches on his card because there aren't guys who are trained to do pro wrestling over there. Really? It really is new for them. So you went over and you were pretty much like the veteran superstar, if you will. Uh, there was a guy from Puerto Rico. He'd been wrestling for 14 years, so he was a vet. <laughs> okay, so you were right underneath him, though. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like to say that, but I like to think that we're all like... I don't like to think I'm better than anyone else, but... You know, I, I, but when you I go into a situation like that, where it's you and the other gentleman from Puerto Rico who've been wrestling 14 years, you guys were the most experienced probably at that point. Yeah. So, and that's what I meant. I didn't mean yeah. that you were better than anybody else. I meant that you had the experience yeah. factor on your side. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's definitely a different crowd. You, you definitely get a feel that they, they haven't seen everything. You know, I think you, you can, once you've watched wrestling for a while, you get that feeling that you've seen everything. You know, an Irish whip into a turnbuckle is nothing. But to people who have never seen wrestling before, an Irish whip into a turnbuckle is like, oh my God, he shot him in a turnbuckle, he went flying, it's awesome. You know? <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Like, oh, shit. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can swear. It's almost like when you see a, when you see a Hurricane Rana now, you're so desensitized. But if you if somebody, like the first time I took my daughter to a wrestling show and two of the wrestlers, they did a Hurricane Rana, she jumped out of her chair. She's like, Dad, it was so cool. And I was sitting there on my phone. I'm like, yeah, super awesome. But I had seen it. I had seen it so many times. So I get, I get your yeah. point. I get your point. Yeah, and that's what I mean by like Red Ocean, Blue Ocean is that a lot of the times I think wrestling fans have seen everything because you love wrestling. Of course I'm going to watch wrestling. I love wrestling. And we sometimes forget the magic that we can bring to the table by doing other things. You know, by bringing something novel. We're all playing within limits, you know? Like, I, 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 uh, I you know that, like, uh, there's that one clip of, like, the Egyptian guys in, I want to say, like, CWA. Yes. Or, yes. And then they, they do, like, the most illegal move in pro wrestling. Yes. And it's hilarious, but it, it does, I, I, I'm split on it because I, I think it's entertaining, but at the same time, it does break the reality of wrestling, which is the hardest thing that you try to bring to the table. Right. If that makes sense. No, you want to keep you, you want to keep it a fantasy. I mean, everybody knows that that uh, the, the you know everything is pre choreographed. The, there's winner. Everyone knows that the winners and losers are already predetermined, but they still don't realize that what happens in the ring is still something special. I mean, I look at yeah. wrestling like a mixture. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I look at wrestling wrestling like a mixture of theater, action yeah. movies. Uh, yep. drama and comedy yep. but I also look at the real risk if a move is done wrong if you're an inch away from where you're supposed to be you could potentially put somebody in a wheelchair you could potentially break a bone every time you step into that ring there are risks all the time yep. you can never get away from them you just have to know how to adapt and handle them and I've seen some bad botches I've been to some indie shows where guys have screwed up and dudes have not gotten up Dudes have been yeah. pulled out of the ring in a stretcher. I've seen a lot in my 36 years on this planet and going to all these indie shows. And I know, and I have an appreciation for the art form. A lot of people just think it's, there's still those fans out there. I have a few friends of mine who are always like, bro, I don't get it, man. I like wrestling. I'm like, because you know what? It's something different. It's something I enjoy. But I also understand that these guys put their lives on the line. And wrestlers are the only group of sports athletes, the only group, that wrestle for 300 plus days a year. They don't play 82 games or 100 games or 20 games. They go hard 300 to 365 days a year. And if anybody doesn't respect them, they're sad because they have that. Those are the ignorant people that just don't understand how special and how truly amazing what happens in that ring actually is. Yeah, 
for sure. Actually, that's one thing I want to talk. That's exactly what I wanted to say. You know how special that thing is mm-hmm. to be able to hook an audience. Um, that I think is really important because, like, uh, I think that's the magic of wrestling. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like if you if you really have that magic show where you don't think it's a show anymore. It's just it's like a it's like an alternate reality almost. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's like you took a trip to another world where people aren't people, and then you. I guess this is why people say like larger than life. This is my explanation of it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can bring people into that world, then the magic of wrestling is real. But at the same time, as much as, like, I would love to be Deadpool and be like, ha I, I know that this is a magic trick. Uh, it's tough to do that because it, it is kind of saying to everyone else, like, I'm smarter than everyone else. I'm Deadpool. And I love Deadpool, but we can't be Deadpool because that would ruin the hard work and the sweat and the blood and the injuries of everyone else who on that show worked hard to create that illusion for me to shatter. Right. No, 100%. Uh, so it, it's always interesting to find a way to move around that. And I think that if you, you, you need to be ambitious outside the box, inside the box, if that makes sense. No, 100% does. 100% yeah. does. So, um, you know what? Just one other question, and then I think sure. we're, we'll wrap it up for today. But I, I want to let you know now, you are officially a member of the Straight Talk family. Anytime you want to come back on the show... You are more than welcome. I would love to do it again. But um, uh, talk to me about future plans for you, for your character. What's the ultimate goal here? Are we looking at a WWE contract? Are you looking at anybody that gives you an opportunity? Where where do you want to take your character and where do you want to go from here? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I ask the hard questions and I need the hard answers. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, I, I really don't. Uh, in terms of my recent dates, uh, I don't know when this podcast is going to get published. It's going next week. So next, the, the, well, basically, what are we on? We're on the 21st. 21st. So you're so. looking at Friday the 26th, I believe? Friday the 26th. Okay. So uh, when this comes out, Friday the 26th, the day after that, I will be back at Junction State Wrestling on July 27th. Uh, catch me. Yeah, that's the free show, show in, the, in, the, in the brewery district, right? Yeah. It's got some great alcohol. I would know. <laughs> and uh, after that, um, I'll be wrestling for OWE, which will be Oriental Wrestling Entertainment on Summer Wednesday, weekend. August. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, no, there's actually one Wednesday, August 7th. Okay. okay. Uh, so that, that'll be downtown Toronto. Well, SummerSlam Summer week then. That's the start Summer of SummerSlam week, week. week. And we have one show on the 7th and one show on the 10th. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to disclose this actually uh, hope I don't get in trouble for saying this but uh, I, was, I was talking to the guys from OWE and uh, they were talking about potential to fly me out to Shanghai too to wrestle and I think that would be pretty cool well that would be absolutely amazing and I would love to have you back when you get back from there if that happens we could talk all about that experience a little bit more in depth for sure yeah I consider that probably to be my next big challenge I don't know if you guys know uh, OWE I've seen some of their stuff they have like legit Shaolin monks not, not like me I'm a fake Shaolin monk but uh, they have legit Shaolin monks doing some of the most crazy acrobatics in the world and I think it'll be a testament to like can you be more than just you know you're the Chinese guy on a card because now the card's going to be full of nothing but Chinese guys so you've got to be that, that Chinese guy that stands above everybody else exactly that's kind of like uh, I see that as my test of myself is um, because I'm the reality of it is I'm not that athletic I'm like a I'm like a solid 6'4", 240 pounds, and um, I don't do moonsaults. I'm not actually 6'4", 260, but, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like an average size guy, and I'm not hyper athletic. I don't do shooting star presses. I don't do 450s and moonsaults. So it'll it'll be a challenge to me, and proof to me of whether or not I can live out this drunken master to stand out in a crowd of legit Shaolin monks doing some of the most crazy acrobatics in the world. So I think that'll be a big challenge for me and something really exciting uh, in terms of wrestling. Well, I think you can. I I think <laughs> I think I I do, and I put my I put my stamp of approval on that. I don't just pick anybody in the handbasket to be on the show. I pick people who I, I feel have a rising star, and I want to showcase them and let the world know. Because as much as I have a great audience here in Canada, I have a huge audience in the States. I love U.S. and all the wrestling fans that are over there. They're so passionate. They're so awesome. I've also got some fans in the U.K. and some fans in Mexico. So the fact of the matter remains is that anytime I can highlight a guy who I see the potential in, I do. And you know what? I think you're on the right track. I think your character is fantastic. I don't think it matters so much if you do 450s or shooting star presses. I just think if you're able to tell a great story in the ring and have a great dance partner across the ring from you, it makes everything more exciting. So I think, you know, keep doing what you're doing because we are definitely going to see you on some form of television programming very soon, whether it be Impact, whether it be um, ROH, whether it be AEW, I don't know. But or even WWE, the sky is the limit for what you're what you're bringing to the table, and I see it as an absolute potential. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out and being on the show today. I appreciate it so much. I had a great conversation, and I think we're definitely going to have to have round two in a couple more months. We're going to have to have you back, and we're going to have to talk about how everything is going for you at that moment. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you very much for having me on the show. All right, that is Bolo Fang, the Drunken Master. Thank you very much, sir. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we will talk to you soon. You too. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, guys, that was an amazing conversation, as always. Uh, next week's episode is going to be a killer. I want to tell you, but you know I'm not going to. you got to stay tuned and locked in for that. So, as always, I'm your host, George McKay. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Also follow us on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And for all our merchandise, you can search us on ProWrestlingTees.com. Thank you.